0: first reading may be found on page 1096 in the church bible and on the screens it's acts chapter 4 verses 23 to 31 on their release peter and john went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 21, reading from verses 10 to 19. It's on page 1056 of the Church Bible. Then Jesus said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors on all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm you will gain life. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Well, good morning, everybody. It's always um, a great joy to come to St. Luke's. You've been a great encouragement to Glenda and me over the last uh, couple of decades that you've been um, praying for us and supporting us um, in many ways. Um, thank you, uh, Reverend Mike, for that warm welcome to. Uh, always appreciate it. Uh, let's pray and ask God to open his word to us. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you in heaven will look down from heaven and uh, see us here on earth, and we pray that you will uh, open our hearts to receive your word and send your Holy Spirit to glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and help us to uh, believe in him strongly by faith and uh, walk with you the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to uh, be speaking this morning from uh, the first reading, which is um, Acts chapter four, verse twenty-three to thirty-one, especially the last three verses. <clears throat> so perhaps if you have a Bible, it'd be good to have it in front of you. Or um, rather than me, why don't you put the <laughs> the um, verse up? Um, anyway, uh, it's always a great privilege to be a Christian at any time in history or in any place. To be a child of God, to be forgiven, to be justified. To be united with Christ, to be an heir of God and indwelt by the Spirit are incomparable blessings uh, which will keep us praising God for all eternity. But in relative terms, the privilege of being a Christian varies from place to place and time. To be a Christian in a place and at a time where there are only a few Christians is the greatest privilege of all. To be a light in a dim place is one thing, but to be a light in one of Earth's darkest places is the greatest privilege of all. But with that comes responsibility, and perhaps no one in the history of the church has ever felt that responsibility more than Peter and John in this passage that we're looking at. The gospel is so essential. It is so important that we must pass it on. And uh, thank you for praying for us in the last um, four years. Uh, we've been working in Japan, um, especially in this area that was hit by the tsunami, Uh, doing relief work, of course, uh, but also telling the gospel. Um, There's a nearby restaurant run by a family and it's right by the harbor and uh, in that restaurant there's a great granny, there was an elderly couple, uh, their daughter and her uh, little child, two-year-old. And when the tsunami warnings came, um, the uh, young woman ran up to the great granny and said, "Let me get, out, get you out of here." As a tsunami warning, and the granny said, "Don't worry about me. You go and get in the car and save your little um, and, and save save the little girl." So that's what the young mother did. She went to high ground, and then the um, tsunami came and it washed the restaurant away and great granny as well. And she. That young woman was severely criticized by her neighbors and those who the other people who survived. You should have saved your granny instead of saving um, yourself and the little girl. What do you say to someone like that? Do you give them a blanket? Do you give them a nice warm meal? Do you even build them a new house? Does that rebuild their lives? Do you give them lots of psychotherapy and uh, try to ease that burning conscience in some other way? There is no other way except the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's the only healing that is powerful enough to give somebody like that a fresh start. And uh, you might not be in that situation, well, you're obviously not in that situation, but all of us have a problem with our conscience. And the only way to be right with God on the day of judgment is now to believe in Jesus as your Savior. And so the gospel is so important in This situation where you are today and our situation where we are in Japan. And especially for Peter and John in this passage, they had to be to continue to teach the gospel. They had that great responsibility on them. In the passage uh, that we read, well, before that, they had been uh, pulled over by the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel and blaming Jesus' death on the Jewish leaders. They had been strictly warned not to preach about Jesus, and they boldly refused. <clears throat> they were then threatened and released. And when they return, they gather the church together, and they pray for two things, verse uh, 29 and 30. They pray for boldness, and they pray for God to stretch out his hands and do miracles of grace. So we we'll just look at those two prayers this morning. First of all, they pray for boldness. Um, That shows that boldness is a gift from God. It's not something that you work up out of your own uh, courage or you force yourself to do something that you don't want to do. No, boldness is not courage. Boldness is a gift of the Holy Spirit that he sends us to enable us to joyfully, passionately, uh, winsomely and persuasively tell people the gospel. No matter what the consequences to ourselves, or, or, um, or uh, the, the consequences to other people even it's, our, it's, it's not our own courage, it's boldness that is a gift from the Holy Spirit, that's why they pray for it but let's look at this passage, why do they pray for it here and why is it so important <clears throat> they hadn't even been beaten or persecuted, uh, not physically anyway um, that will come uh, persecution will come under Saul of Tarsus, and the whole church will be uh, threatened in those days. But in those in, uh, in Jerusalem, at the time of Peter and John, here in this passage, the church is still popular. So why do they pray for this boldness? And why do they pray for it when they've been bold up to this point? Uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, in verse 13 of the same chapter, they recognize the boldness of Peter and John. So they had been bold up to this point. There's no hint of slackening in zeal, of cooling off, of being timid. And yet they pray intensely for boldness. Why? And they pray with such intensity. Look at the wonderful prayer that they pray. They recognize God as the creator of heaven and earth. They uh, quote a psalm, Psalm 2, um, about how all the leaders of the world are going to gang up against God and against his Christ. And they recognize that that was fulfilled in, um, in, in the death of Jesus when he was crucified. They um, call Jesus the holy servant, and they call themselves servants as well. So they see that they're in a parallel mission with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why such an intense prayer? Why indeed? Why do they pray for boldness when they already have it, when they haven't been severely persecuted? And why do they pray with such intensity? Why is it so important for Peter and John and for the church? It is because of this. They have been threatened, and they know the effectiveness of threats, and they know how they must continue to be bold. The ESV actually says to continue to be bold. They ask God to look down from heaven and consider their enemies' threats. Look upon their threats and consider my own weakness. Consider how I, Peter, was taken by surprise and threatened by a servant girl, and now we're being threatened by the whole Sanhedrin, the same body of people who who are crucified and con- condemned and crucified our Lord. I am too weak to continue to be bold. I feel in grave danger of cooling off and giving in. Look upon their threats, Lord, and consider your own honor. If we should fail, the name of Jesus will be mocked and the gospel will be treated as empty words and the new church uh, will, will fizzle out. Look upon their threats and consider your own mission. You've made us co-workers, and yet we are the weakest link. Um, and therefore... Because they feel the effectiveness of these threats, they pray for boldness. Threats, of, you know, they come in various guises, and they're often un- unexpected and can throw us off balance. Moses was threatened by Pharaoh and fled to Midian. Uh, uh, Elijah, one of the boldest prophets in the Old Testament, he was threatened by Jezebel and escaped uh, into the desert. Never. Uh, underestimate the power of threats and never overestimate your ability to deal with them. Another reason why threats are so dangerous is they're dressed up as kindness, as I'm sure they were in this passage. The Sanhedrin didn't say, we're really itching to punish you, but we're afraid of the crowd. That would have been the truth. But they probably said something like this. "Uh, We could punish you, but we're going to let you off. We're going to be kind to you. Or, um, we've killed the ringleader, Jesus, but you're just common uneducated men, so we're going to be kinder to you. And then the uh, temptation is to respond to this kindness by uh, compromising or softening one's evangelism. And perhaps this happens to us more than we think. Uh, Living in a modern secular uh, state that tolerates us can produce in us the wrong kind of gratitude and subservience. We need to be bold. And as the world gets prouder, as the world becomes more secular, we need to be bolder and clearer in our explanation of the gospel and not tone down what we say. Uh, The the apostles saw that clearly, and they continued to pray to be bold. That's the first prayer. But let's just stop there. Do we ever pray for boldness? It should be one of our top prayer requests, uh, that God would make us bold. That we would be um, clear in telling the gospel it 's not just uh, forcing ourselves to be cor- courageous and grabbing people and being rude or being loud that 's not boldness boldness in the in the New Testament is filled with love filled with joy, um, filled with conviction that the gospel is true, and uh, passionately and appropriately and winsomely telling people the gospel that is what I pray for for myself. Um, pray it for yourselves, Uh, pray it for those you send out as missionaries, pray it for your ministers it's our number one need and then they, secondly they pray and this is the uh, verse 30 here, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus so they pray for healing miracles, for signs and wonders through Jesus, we pray for healings in our Prayer meetings, I'm sure. We pray for people who are sick. Um, we pray in the services for those who aren't well. And that's God's will, of course. But that's not particularly why they pray for it here. They pray for uh, signs and wonders to be done to authenticate the message. There are many ways in which the gospel is authenticated. And one of the uh, clearest and most wonderful is when people get converted When people change, when the alcoholic gives up his um, alcohol and becomes filled with the spirit and uh, zealously telling people about Jesus. When the thief, um, you know, gives up being dishonest and starts giving his money away. That's a wonderful uh, truth that the gospel has power and Jesus is alive. Or when somebody who's an atheist like I was, um, you know, starts standing up here preaching, then you know that something's uh, happened. When Saul of Tarsus, who's a persecutor, he suddenly becomes an apostle, that's uh, proof that Jesus is alive. These are signs, and these are miracles that we pray for in our prayer meetings, and uh, they authenticate the message. And that's what we pray, surely. We pray for Portsmouth to become converted. We pray for the block of flats over there. We pray for the hordes of people who never darken the door of our church, that God would open their hearts and um, uh, give them understanding that they would believe the gospel, uh, that revival would come, that God would turn back the, um, the sort of secular wave that's uh, overcoming our culture and our society. And we ask uh, God to do this miracle of grace, to stretch out his hand. We ask that, but do we see that there's a connection between these two prayers? The first prayer that the apostles prayed for boldness and the second prayer that God would stretch out his hand and do miracles. Do we see a connection there? In the text there is at least in the ASV. There's a conjunction. While. Lord grant to your servants boldness. While you stretch out your hand. God will do both. If we ask for both. But very often we only ask for the last one. Uh, we need to pray for boldness. And then God would uh, stretch out. When, when the church is bold. Um, the uh, Uh, God will work in the surrounding society. Um, I haven't told uh, Mike this, I don't think ever, but about ten years ago, I I got a a newspaper. Somebody subscribes us to a Christian newspaper called Evangelicals Now. And uh, on the front page, I saw um, Reverend Michael Duff and a number of you, a large number of you, on the... um, guild hall steps, I think it was, and you were witnessing for the gospel. And I thought that was fantastic. That was an encouragement to me when I opened that in our house in Japan. Um, uh, Keep doing it. Keep being bold and uh, keep witnessing. And at the same time, um, God will work in the surrounding society and turn people to himself. So let's pray those two prayers. And then Uh, Finally, we're just going to look at how God answered those two prayers. They prayed it, uh, they prayed those prayers, and God answered. We must pray those two prayers, and God will answer. Verse 31, here it is. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now there are two miracles in this verse. The first one's easy to spot. It's an earthquake. It's not a devastating one. It's a small, well timed tremor um, for the uh, encouragement of the church, the people who've been praying. Um, God perhaps doesn't um, end our prayer meetings with an earthquake, but we have enough promises in God's word to know that He hears us um, without that. The second um, miracle. Is this, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness is a miracle. If you see a bold Christian, you're watching a walking miracle. Uh, we cannot generate this out of our own um, courage or our own ability. And this was not just a natural state of mind caused by seeing a, a miracle, an earthquake happening in front of them. This was the Holy Spirit um, working inside these apostles, making them love Jesus, uh, making them zealous, uh, making them convinced of the truth, um, making them um, uh, value eternity so much more than, this, uh, than, than their own lives in this world. Um, and, uh, and therefore, they continued to speak God's word with boldness. And that prayer was answered continuously. It wasn't just here, it was throughout the book of Acts. You could read it almost on every, in every paragraph, how uh, uh, they speak God's word boldly, um, speak in the Holy Spirit. It's almost interchangeable. Um, it goes on and on throughout the book of Acts. Even to the last verse of the book of Acts, where Paul is referred to as proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. <clears throat> it's a great theme in the book of Acts. The boldness of the early church was miraculous, and we need to pray for this miracle to be done in us. And God answered their second prayer as well. Um, What are some of the signs and wonders that followed? Well, in the next chapter we read of numerous miracles, verse 12, numerous conversions, verse 14, and such extraordinary healings that Peter's shadow had the power to heal. Peter was miraculously delivered from prison to the surprise of a praying church, and later we're told of more conversions and a growing church in chapter 6. Even large numbers of priests are converted— and Stephen is converted and filled with boldness, and the gospel spreads to Samaria, which receives it wholesale. And then Paul is converted, and the mission to the Gentiles starts in earnest, with all the marvelous growth of the kingdom that's resulted in the gospel spreading around the whole world. One might even say that your conversion today, 2,000 years later, is the result of the apostles' prayer in chapter 4 for God to stretch out his hand. But is it conceivable that God would have acted alongside his church in this way if they had been too timid to tell the gospel clearly? In parallel with the apostles speaking boldly, God does miracles of grace. Believers stand for God and boldly declare his truth, and God works in the surrounding world. And this is not a man-centered religion. This is not us doing our bit and God doing his bit. They're both God. God gives us the boldness, and he works. They're both miracles, and that's why we pray for both. So, very briefly, what must we do? Um, We must pray for boldness now, but perhaps before we even do that, we need to recognize our timidity. We need to own up to it and say, Lord, up till now I have been timid. We've perhaps called it wisdom, or we've called it love, or we've called it being tactful. Um, It's not. It's timidity. Let's own up to it. Now we're going to have communion, and we're going to ask God for grace. We're going to f- repent of our sins and ask God for grace. Let's ask him for this boldness. Let's ask him to refresh us, to give us the joy, to give us the absolute conviction that the gospel is true, which is, frankly, why we are timid, isn't, isn't it? We come into church, we enjoy the songs, we enjoy the singing, and we, um, we enjoy listening to the message, perhaps, but well, we're not absolutely sure that it is true, and that's why we never say anything to our neighbors. Let's, when we come to communion, let's ask God to uh, reignite that conviction that the gospel is true and that there will be a, um, a real change in our lives. Um, and finally, let's um, know our responsibility. Uh, Peter and John, as I said... They felt the responsibility of being a light in a dark place. Um, you're also lights in a dark place, as we are where we are, uh, live in Japan. Um, we were looking at the broken houses and buried cars and stuff in the, uh, in the mud at our uh, uh, beach in Japan. And there was a Japanese pastor next to me, and he said to me, uh, this is our last chance. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, if the Japanese church doesn't use this opportunity, God will give up on us. And he was right. I've been impressed by the relief effort mounted by the small Christian community, but appalled at the unwillingness of many evangelicals to tell the uh, the gospel. After the serious earthquake, we were warned 40 minutes before the tsunami that it was coming. Somebody was faithfully reading from a text into a microphone that was then broadcast along the coast. There is a huge tsunami coming, escape to high ground. And without that persistent clear warning, the casualties would have been much higher. Indeed, some like me probably thought it was another false alarm. We had been warned of tsunamis before that never came, but the warning and the means of escape that the church has been given is no false alarm. Let us know our responsibility and be faithful. In some cases, there were people at sea level reading that message again and again until the water came over their heads. So let us take that on board and be responsible. Uh, God sends disasters so the church will be bold. And that was a wonderful passage that um, you chose um, in in Luke. Um, disasters come so that the world will be evangelized. And... When our neighbor next door has a, has a bad news, let's not hold off with the gospel. Let's go to them lovingly and sincerely and tell them the gospel. And uh, let's do it um, before they have a problem as well. Uh, God will do miracles of salvation. God is in heaven and does these things. But we and his spirit are on earth uh, and we have to be bold witnesses. So let's pray that uh, God will enable us to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we make the Apostles' prayer our own. We pray that you will give us boldness, forgive us for our timidity up till now, and uh, enable us to be so joyful and so convinced of the truth of the gospel, and so um, loving towards our neighbors, and so careless of our own well-being, and so uh, considerate of eternity that um, we'll be bold. And Lord, please stretch out your hand in Portsmouth and to the end of the earth and do wonderful miracles of salvation and save many, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.